standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus. It is June the 2nd, 2023, episode 427. And in many ways, this is the follow-up to the last two days worth of uh, episodes. We're going to focus on the church today. Um, it's not going to be easy, but we got to do it. We got to, we got to cover it, um, and see where that takes us. And before I get into the meat of the subject, let me remind you, you can help me. You can help yourself like share and subscribe to this podcast, put it out there, put it on your social media of choice. Look, I've got my own group on Facebook. I visit Gab regularly. I occasionally drop in on MeWe. And I even post on Instagram from time to time. One man can only do so many things. But I know I have three listeners out there. They've been working their tails off for me. I mean, we are a hard-charging group here. We're closing in on 145,000 downloads. Yep, those three guys, super busy. Of course, they're not all guys. But, well, we're just going to leave that one alone. And if you're feeling particularly motivated, inspired, or informed, you can also go and do a review or rating of this program on your favorite podcatcher, or you can slide on over to YouTube and find the audio on there as well. All right. Here we go. First and foremost, let me start by saying that uh, I am a... Self-described biblical Christian, biblically informed Christian. Uh, I do believe in the inerrancy of scripture. What I will say is I question whether or not people interpret it correctly at times. Um, But historically, over the last 2,000 years, they've been pretty darn consistent. And there hasn't been too many blips in the screen if you will, but it seems as of late, uh, some of the current leadership in the evangelical world have decided to mm, reinterpret things in ways that benefit them. Surprise, surprise. So while we're on this topic, let me also say uh, there are people that are far more versed on these things than I am. So I... I'm not, I'm stepping out here, if you will, without a safety net. If you want to get a mm, better understanding of these topics that is beyond what mine is, you can check up or check out Joshua Harris and Conversations That Matter. You can check out A.D. Robles. He's everywhere. And, uh, you know, you can go check out the guys over at the Fight Last Feast Network. Uh, And I will point out that I don't agree with all these guys on everything, but I will tell you, I appreciate the work and what they're doing. And it's been invaluable to pressing and pushing me to have a better, clearer understanding of what it is that we're supposed to be doing as biblical Christians. Now, for the purposes of defining my term, biblical Christian means somebody that is a Christian and also believes in the Bible. So you can call yourself a Christian, but not believe in the Bible and eh, not a Christian. You can say you believe in uh, Jesus and the Bible and other stuff, eh, not a Christian. 
it's pretty simple in my mindset. That means there's a whole lot of people that call themselves Christians that I don't think they meet the muster. But here's the thing. That's not my job to determine their salvation or not. The holy God, the creator God, makes that determination for him. And so whether or not he knows their their lives, or <laughs> kind of muddled that one. He knows what their lives are. He knows their fruit and he knows where their heart is. And I can't possibly know that. And I don't believe anybody else can either. However, there are several heresies, heretical ideas or heretical positions that you might take, including universalism, that would take you away from biblical Christianity. So in my mind, you're not a Christian. But here's the other part of that puzzle. If you have a conversation with me politely or even impolitely, but rationally, and I will be happy to discuss that issue with you, but I won't be rude. I won't be mean and I won't cast you asunder because I know a whole lot of people that claim to be Christians that don't believe in the Bible or they believe in something extra. They're generally good people. And if I were to treat them poorly or dismiss them, I would not be helping their cause. Hmm? On the flip side, those heretical teachings, those heretical beliefs can't go unanswered forever. And as we have now stepped into the month of celebrating everything that is pagan, every perversion, and pretending that it's good and, well, God loves them all, yes, he did. He does. He sent his son to die for them as well. But if they reject that, because I'm not a universalist, they face internal damnation. And I would be doing them no favors if I were to pretend all is well. I would not be mm, loving them if I were to tell them, hey, it's cool, man. That's fine. You can do that. If I would be mm, rejecting my own commission given to me to go out and preach to the world and make disciples. Now, everybody has a different um, piece of that puzzle, but if I'm going to pretend that God's okay with sinful behavior, I am doing you no favors. And while we're at it, yeah, I pretty much have to repent every night for the very various uh, things that I do during the day that are unpleasing to a holy God. So I don't hold myself up any higher than any of the rest of us sinners. So now that I've gotten that all out of the way and I've kind of defined my terms, let us jump in. So there's been a bit of kerfuffle on the whole idea of Christian nationalism and whether or not the Christian church or any church ought to be involved in government or in, let's call it leadership or ruling or however you want to choose to define it. And while I can appreciate, um, some of the things brought forth, um, I find it difficult to take advice and direction on how to be a good Christian from an atheist and somebody that's not a biblical Christian. I find it difficult to take advice and direction from, quite frankly, people that are not pastors. They don't have mm, God's blessing of their pastoralship. So that kind of narrows down for me who I'm going to listen to. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I dismiss everything whole cloth. It doesn't mean that they can't be right. I mean, the old adage about a clock that's broken being accurate twice in a day is true. So when you got a guy like James Lindsay out there, who pretty smart guy, got a PhD as far as I know, and he's done a lot of uh, talking about how this wokeism destroyed the old school liberals, and now it's working its way through the uh, churches. Yeah, okay, that was helpful in understanding that and maybe giving us some tips and clues on what to look for. Great, but I'm not going to take advice on how to leave a Christian footprint from this guy because he opposes what we want to (sighs) do. So it's frustrating. It is frustrating. And, And every moderate, either biblical or politically, uh, orientated person is afraid of Christianity or churches getting involved in politics. Strangely enough, they don't seem to mind when those same churches or religions fall on the same side of the issue that they agree with, right? I mean, and to make matters worse, Protestants don't want to work with Catholics. Why? We agree on so much. You know, you want to argue about the, I don't know, let's call it the sanctification of Mary or whatever the proper term is. Hey, Catholics out there, don't mean any disrespect, but... You guys venerate Mary a whole lot more than we Protestants do. I can't quite wrap my head around it, but okay. And there's a lot of good Catholic people that are believers saved just like me. And we're we're on the same team here. I'm not going to work against you, but I got to ask. Are you really cool with what your leader, hmm? what the hippie Pope's doing? Uh, Most of the, most, most of the Catholics I know are not, but he's the leader of your church. Because that's the way your church is set up. Protestantism is not uh, immune from this. We've got a whole lot of bad leaders that get a mantle of mm, leadership and authority put upon them. And some of them are just weak, terrible, misled, destroyed. Choose your adjective. If we take our eyes off of our king, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. So again... Now, as I'm pivoting, as I'm walking into this political melee, there are a number of ideas, right? I think it's uh, present within the Anabaptist strain with the the folks that uh, belong to the friends or the brotherhood, uh, the plain dressers, whatever you want to call them, Mennonites, Quakers, They, they have a very pietist view, but they're also extremely separated. They're they're almost passive, if you will. Well, we're going to give you your money so you stay away, but we're not going to do anything else. And we'll follow those rules that pertain to us when we're in your land. But other than that, we want nothing to do with it. And you know what? They get away with it all the time. And very, very few repercussions happen. So that could be a lesson to all of us, right? You just passively ignore stupid rules, stupid laws, particularly the ones that violate the constitution. But that's a whole nother story. We'll get to it next week, I'm sure. <clears throat> and then there's the pietism, right? This is uh, also found heavily in the Baptists and other Protestant sects 
and that's S-E-C-T-S, just in case you're wondering. They think that uh, it's best to stay out of politics. We don't want to be involved. It's dirty, messy business, and we might soil our good behavior. We might become compromised. And you know what? There is some truth to that. People that get involved in that, they often get compromised. We need not look any further than the events of the last six months. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be involved. It doesn't mean that there isn't a calling, if you will, for some people to serve and do these things. And you're supposed to do your job and do it well and represent Christ in whatever role you're given. So that has to mean that some people are magistrates and they do those roles of leadership and they have to do them well and they need to remember who they're ultimately serving. Yes, it's we the people, but it's also Christ the King who everybody gets to meet when they're dead. So we've got the pietist problem, the passive problem. Both of these groups negate a whole lot of good works that we try and do. And you know what I said? Good works. I said that on purpose because a lot of what we're doing is trying to fix the temporal world that we live in. It has no effect, if you will, on our eternal salvation, but they are still good, positive things. We want government to reward good behavior and punish bad behavior. The whole idea of the two swords, right? You've you got your great Protestant reformers and they talked a great deal about this and what's the proper role of a king or government in general. And they, they talked to some degree about the idea of lesser magistrates. In This should be nothing new if you've been listening to this show because I've talked about this time and time again. So in modern America, we have a great number of churches that have allowed themselves to be silenced over the 501c3 status. And it feeds into the pietist motivation, right? Well, we don't really want to talk about these things because they're kind of icky. And, you know, while we could potentially face sanction or problems if we were to speak on the issues, unless, of course, you're certain churches in certain parts of town, then the rules don't apply to you. But for the middle class white Protestant churches, they do nothing. They say nothing. They let it all burn, in my opinion. And honestly, while I would like to be nice and say it's pietism or it's passivity, I really think it's a pusillanimous behavior is what it is. They're cowardly. They're supposed to go and proclaim God's word, which is insulting and infuriating to hordes of people. But you can't say to kill a baby in the womb is wrong. You can't say that aberrant sexual behavior is wrong. You can't say all these other things, whether it's gluttony or cursing or blasphemy or cheating on your wife or your husband or abusing your children. You can't say that stuff's wrong and not get people angry with you. But here's my problem. If those churches aren't saying this stuff, if they're not putting it out, people forget these things. They don't believe the Ten Commandments are rule. They don't take them seriously because the churches don't even seem to take them seriously. And how sad is it that now good Christian people that have been raised in the church have to look to other means to know right from wrong. It's because the church failed to do its job. On what planet do Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, both of whom are both non-repentant of their bad behavior, where do they get to claim to be good Catholics or good Christians? Just to take some of the sting off of that, right? 
Now, at least Donald Trump feigned repentance. He, he pretended to change his ways to get what I would call an endorsement from the evangelicals that actually still endorse, that will praise political people, some to their own adulation, some to their pocketbooks, and some at great risk. And if you've listened to any of my shows in the past where I've mentioned the former president, you will note that I often said that we didn't have a better choice. I was never excited about it. I didn't think he was the greatest thing, and I, I still don't. It's a, it's a whole cult of personality that surrounds Trump and Trumpism, and that's fine so far as the populist narrative goes, and because the populists are generally in the right direction, at least now. But where are the churches? And going back even further, right? You know, we're going to make a little history lesson out of this. The idea of Christian nationalism actually goes back to the early 1900s when you had the socialists in these United States trying to put forth their political religion. It's not a coincidence that Francis Bellamy was involved and then his brother Bellamy, right? And they just so happened to have the Pledge of Allegiance who was socialistic in nature and mm, let's call it Christian nationalist motivations to sell flags, right? I mean, this all comes together and that's because those churches were corrupt. You know, every mainline denomination has been infected and corrupted for decades and decades, probably a century at this point. Who knows? And they're reaping the rewards. The churches that are growing, the churches that are being effective are the ones that are staying true, that stayed open. Those that are doing the works, their hands and feet are involved and standing firmly on the word. But if you continue to either hide behind your stained glass windows, right? Or you continue to utter platitudes to keep people feeling good about themselves and their sin, you're not doing anybody any favors. And that directly translates to our political situation that we have right now. We have a whole lot of pastors, a whole lot of preachers that are fearful to stand up and call sin, sin. They're fearful to push back on government overreach. They're fearful to open up their very churches. Now, I heard a podcast, yes, Brian McClanahan again, for those of you who are wondering. And he talked about, I believe it was Franklin Pierce during a flu epidemic, asked for the churches to stay open and to put up prayers to protect our country and our people. When we did exactly the opposite. Not only that, pastors are still defending their actions. There's still churches out there that aren't really even fully open yet. And I don't understand. Well, maybe they are now. Okay, that's not fair. Six months ago, they still weren't open. Why? What are we afraid of? Hey, look. Look, there are immunocompromised people. There's always been immunocompromised people. They can take their own precautions. You don't punish the entire stinking world. But again, we had pastors out there saying, well, if you love your neighbor, you'll get the shot. You'll cover your face. You'll do these things to protect your neighbor because oh, that would be a good Christian. Loving your neighbor is more important, you know, because Jesus is love. Really? Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that... uh That's not the way I understood things. 
And while we're at it, let me just state, for the record, I'm not perfect. And I don't think I get everything perfect when I understand or interpret things that are coming from the Bible. But I'm far more confident in my understanding that what I hear passed across as good, standard, biblical exegesis in the current day and age. I mean, realistically, the the guys that have the biggest churches seem to have the wormiest tongue, if you will, the weakest tongue, the more cowardly behaviors. And I don't know why that is. Why do we tolerate that? Again, the churches that are soft are dying. Now, I'm not suggesting that masculinity is everything, and I don't want to go down that road. What I am suggesting is you have to have a robust Christianity. You have to have a strong Christian, biblical Christian understanding. And then when you approach government, when you approach your society, when you approach your community, you're coming from that standpoint and you're open and honest about where you're coming from. The people you're working with, the people you're helping, the people that you're trying to negotiate with, they know where you're coming from. And some of them, they're going to try and take advantage of that. Absolutely. Some of them, are going to refuse to deal with you because you offended their sensibilities. Okay. Some of them are going to be grateful and appreciate your honesty. But ultimately, we we answer to a higher purpose. And if we're not willing to put our necks out now, what are we going to do when the tide is fully turned? It's not lost on me that the entire stinking world seems to be celebrating. I, I wish it was only diversity. At this point, it's perversion. They're celebrating perversion and we're the bad guys because we question it. Are you paying attention there, Christian? Hmm? Are you paying attention there, conservative? And I realize not all conservatives are Christians. And unfortunately, not all uh, conservatives are Christians. (laughs) It goes both ways, right? But there's a giant overlap there and they're in action. They're inadequacy. Their lack of voice in their locality is stunning to me. There are two or three huge churches in the city I live in, and apparently they're all a-okay with what goes on at the city or the municipal uh, city offices and the municipal uh, school board offices. They're perfectly okay with that. And I'm not sure why that is. I mean, if just those two or three churches would show up in mass, we could fix a whole lot of problems. But again, that would require an investigation, an investment to make that difference. And I think that they're just so calm and cozy in their nice little suburban Collin County existence that they fail to notice that the wolves are at the door. The enemy is at the gates. And as time goes, when the church sits by idly and does nothing, Things continue to degrade. And if you don't believe me, just look at the compromises the church routinely makes these days. Now, I remember about a decade ago, listening to a pastor talk about how, as a good Protestant church, we would partner with other good Protestant churches. And I think, for the sake of this discussion, I think he was indicating that though we have some significant differences with the Catholic brethren, they were close enough and agreed on enough things, biblical Christianity, if you will, that we would partner with them as well. However, he drew the line on 
you know, the temple down the road because they're not biblical Christians. Uh, that made sense to me. Hey, you know what? You don't don't want to be unequally yoked. Makes good sense. However, I can't help but notice that the very organization that was formed out of the actions of these churches has now been synced up and included with a secular organization. And it's only a matter of time before it was completely secularized. So we've now yoked ourselves to people that reject Christianity. So we're going back on our very own statement, our very own decision, right? It doesn't make sense to me. Now, you can claim it was for the greater good and we can help more people. Okay, that's fine. But we're always being cautioned about government and religion mixing, yet we're doing that very same thing for, quote unquote, a greater cause or a greater good. I myself don't fear Christianity and government, but I do fear Sharia. I do fear atheism, unchecked atheism, being in control of government. That's not to say there aren't bad Christians that do bad things, because there clearly are, but there's a whole lot of people that claim to be Christians that are clearly not that do really bad things. And as a humorous aside, somebody tried to convince me once upon a time that Hitler was a Catholic. Really? That's your story? (laughs) No, not even close. But look, when it gets down to it, the church is responsible for its flock. Protecting, nourishing, right? Their flock. If their flock becomes flabby, if their flock becomes hmm, irrelevant, that's on the church. But we, the people in that church, we are supposed to make up the church. We are the body, right? We're supposed to say something, do something. I'm guilty of this. I really haven't. I haven't pushed back hard enough in my church. Mostly because, honestly, I'm outvoted and I'm outnumbered. And why would I create more strife in the very place that I've been going to try and avoid it? But clearly that was a bad idea, right? I mean, the enemies are at the gate and perhaps if my church or your church or some other local churches would have been a little more on the ball, we could have pushed back and avoided some of this. Hey, but don't worry because they claim to be good biblical Christians. Right, our our leaders they put on a good facade, but when it comes down to it, they're selling us out. They don't really care. They're not interested. They just want their power. They want that title. They want to pretend they have authority over others, but at the end of the day, they don't protect. They don't serve. And we, as Christians, we as the church, that's on us. If we can't lead by example. Nobody's going to follow us. If we can't lead by speaking the truth to power with little love, nobody's going to listen to us. If we're too busy contemplating irrelevant things, if we're too busy making other people feel comfortable in their sinful behavior, if we're too busy trying to cut deals to make sure that we have access to certain things, we're becoming irrelevant as the days go by. 
You know, the Bible talks about salt and light. If you lose your savor, you're not doing your job. So if you keep compromising yourself away, what savor do you have? If if you're not involved, if you're staying in your church, if you're if you're being quote unquote pious or even passive, you're hiding under that bushel. You're not leading a good life. You're not setting an example. It doesn't seem that hard. It seems quite obvious if you just take 30 seconds to consider it. Yet, apparently that means that you would be uncomfortable. So in closing, everything that happens is according to God's plan, right? That's what we believe. Does that mean that we can't change anything? Does that mean we can't appeal to God? Well, clearly that doesn't appear to be the case based upon the very book that we subscribe to listening to, right? Abraham's actions played out differently than what initially we believed. Noah acted on faith, but then messed up, but then did fine. David went off on his own thing, but was able to recover, right? These are fallen men, even the good ones, even even the ones that are held up in high esteem, they can be used just like Nebuchadnezzar was used. Cyrus, right? These all these people can all be used. Everything that's happening could and shall be used. But if they were used when somebody was proclaiming the truth, when somebody was standing up and telling them, this is not right. This is the right thing to be doing. And some of them had open hearts and open minds and some did not. God reminded them who was ultimately in control. And he judged harshly those that ignored his precepts, that ignored his directions, that ignored his prophets. So what makes us think it's going to be any different for us? Ladies and gentlemen, we have to do the work. We have to be the hands and the feet. We have to go out and do that. But more than that, we have to go speak the truth. We have to be honest. There is no permanent political solution. We have to be honest about that. And while Christianity is the answer, right? The Bible teaches that we can do all things through Christ. I don't think that means that there's no strife. That doesn't mean that there's no problems. We're still fallen. We still live in a fallen world. But what that does mean is you can overcome things with Christ, in my opinion. I mean, if you think I'm wrong, go ahead. (laughs) This is a prime opportunity because I I admit that I'm out on a limb here, right? And, And as with almost every episode I do, the prep time is my time driving around. I give it some thought and I kick around some ideas and I think about it until I'm comfortable with what I think I want to say and then I just roll it out. There is no rehearsal here, folks. But if you think I got it wrong, if you think if you think that maybe you need to tweak what I've said, that's fine. Do it in the comments. Send me a text. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Until then, I will see you on the other side.